welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Joshua 1 verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I am giving you. God's got an inheritance for every person here today. Did you hear that? Go to the land which I am giving to you. There's something for you to walk into, to possess, for every person that's born here today. He goes on to say, Every place that your soul of your foot shall tread, I have given you. Do you notice the context? I am giving to you, I have given you. I am giving to you, I have given you. God says, I am giving this land to you, but it's a land that I've already given to you. If you had to listen to 89.9, Light of Him, this morning, <laughs> you may have heard me refer to this last year, and it's a, it's a, it's a, a mystery to people that God begins with the end in mind. God completes a work, then he comes back and reveals it to us. I shared that this morning on Light of Him. And it's a revelation that Joshua had to get his head around that God has already given him this land. He's already gone into Joshua's future and given it to him, but it's a land that he has to go now and possess. And God has revealed to many of you, many of you, your future. And it's a done deal. That's the great thing about following Jesus. Whatever he reveals to you, he has already completed. Did you hear me? The cross was completed before the foundation of the world. He was a lamb that was sacrificed, a lamb that was slain before even Adam was born. God had gone into the future and made a provision. I love that about God. Whatever he reveals to me is already completed. That's why we have a hope. That's why we have confidence. That's why when you get a word from God, that's all that you need. He shows you your future and it's done. And then he comes back into your present and you stand on that promise of the future and you walk on water because you know that you know that you know it's a done deal. Are you hearing me today? Who else is like our God who sees into the future, creates your future, then comes back to your present and says, let me, let me tell you a secret about your life. This is what you're going to do. Isn't that good? How many people want to know what's going to happen tomorrow? Well, it's called the Holy Spirit. And he comes and he reveals to you things to come. But the devil wants us to settle on the other side of the Jordan. There is a land for you to possess today. There is a promised land. There is an inheritance. But the devil with all his might wants you to settle on the wrong side of the Jordan. And we see as we study scripture that two and a half tribes of Israel chose to stay on the wrong side of the Jordan. They got settled in the here and now and they didn't possess their land. There's a fire that's stirring in my heart because God wants his people to take the land. I sat in the MCG last night and watched Australia crucify England. It was so exciting for some of us. I sat with a pom who wasn't so excited, who would be, remain nameless, but he's a great man on the piano. And uh, he was crying and I was laughing. But as we both talked about looking around the MCG and seeing 85,000 people with, with passion and vigour, but we're beginning to imagine what would it look like when that, if that was a church in this city, worshipping God, passionate about God, doing a Mexican wave for Jesus. 
See, the devil wants us to settle on the wrong side of the Jordan where we just, in a, we just settle for what we have now. And I want you now to turn to Joshua 9.3 because this passage, which I preached on a long time ago, this passage is all about settling on the wrong side of the Jordan. On the wrong side of the Jordan, there are three things that happen. It's, when you live on the wrong side of the Jordan, it's an invitation to live in a world of defeat. It's an invitation to live in a world of diminished vision. And it's an invitation to live in a world of deception. And this is what we find in this passage of Scripture. You may want to read with me in Joshua 9 verse 3. It says, However, the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua did to Jericho and Ai. These towns were situated on the promised land side of the Jordan. You need to make note of that today. When the enemy heard what Joshua had accomplished in the inheritance, in the promised land, they resorted to a deceptive tactic. The enemy gets afraid when God's people begin to take land. Are you hearing me today? So they went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended, the men put on worn and patched sandals on their feet and they wore old clothes. And all the bread of their food supply was dry and mouldy. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live near us. How could we make a treaty with you? Because God had told them that they were to make no treaty with the people of, of Canaan. They, they, in Exodus chapter 23, he says, Those that live around you, you are to destroy every enemy that comes against you in the promised land. And they said to Joshua in verse 8, We are your servants. And Joshua said, Who are you and where do you come from? That's a great question to ask the enemy, isn't it? I want you to notice the first thing about this. Here's an invitation to live on the wrong side of the Jordan, and it's a land, a world of defeat. Do you notice these men that come to Joshua? They're wearing worn-out uh, clothes. They have worn-out sacks, old wineskins that are cracked and mended, worn-out patched sandals on their feet, old clothes, crusty old bread. Have you ever met someone like that? This is the invitation of the enemy. He comes to us with this religious-sounding lie. This, as I read it, this is all about an invitation to Christians to live a life where there's no victory, no power, where sin gains power over God's people. So many people have believed the lie when it comes to the power of sin over their life. I write in my book in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, I think it's verse 3, you know, the scripture, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal weapons, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. And he goes on to say, um, and then you'll be ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And this is what I wrote about this scripture. Your authority over any stronghold is in proportion to your obedience to Christ. And so we often think, well, that means I've got to get everything right. But I go on to say, 
Your obedience to Christ isn't perfect behavior, but it's agreeing with how God now sees me and decreeing his words over my life. When I agree with my father, I come under his covering and I am positioned to enjoy all the benefits of being his son. Believers have authority to punish all disobedience and that disobedience isn't your disobedience. This is the disobedience of Satan. His lies about your life. He comes and whispers to you that sin that's in your life, you'll never overcome it. That sin that you had before you're born again, it's still in you. You still have a sinful nature. He whispers lies. He does it to me. He comes along and he reminds me of my past. He says, you know what? That desire you had 20 years ago, it hasn't changed. You still have the same desires. And he makes me believe believe that I am no different than I was before I was born again. Has anyone else ever had that? He makes me feel there's something wrong with me. And so we have this duty as believers to begin to believe what Jesus says about us. And they come bringing this old covenant mindset, this patched out, worn out doctrine that says, you're going to have to fight sin to the day you die. Once a drunk, always a drunk. You'll never change those thoughts, those behaviors. And I happen to believe that if any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. And I have had it up to here with the lies of the enemy spoken by people, spoken by the enemy that says, you are just the same. You are not the same. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, everything changes. You may feel like nothing's changed, but that's a lie. In your spirit, everything changed. And what's worse, a man or a woman who has something wrong with them or a man or a woman who thinks they have something wrong with them when they don't? Most of your problems are problems brought about by deception. The enemy comes and says, you haven't changed. You've been sold a lie. He's handed out worn out, dirty, broken, a cracked uh, Christianity that says, you know what? Jesus is in you, but you really haven't changed. You've really got the same hang-ups, the same problems. Nothing has changed. Are you hearing me today? But this is the truth about the Jordan River. Joshua 3.15 says that the Jordan overflows all of its banks at the time of harvest. And as I read that, it says the ark entered into this flooded Jordan. And it was a picture of Jesus going into the very depths of mankind's sin. The, the, so you picture the Jordan River. They come up to it and it's flooded. It's not just normal, but it's bigger than ever before. And into this river... The, pre, the, the priest and the ark, which is a type of Jesus, they walk straight into the middle of this. Joshua 3.16 says that when they walked into this river, all the water piled back all the way to a city, which they can't find anymore, a city called Adam. And then it, it, because it piled up there, all the water in the river went dry and it, all the water that went to the Dead Sea dried up, and there was no water going anymore to the Dead Sea. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I want you to see that when Jesus walked into the Jordan, which is a picture, which is a picture of what the ark is, 
He reached back all the way to Adam. He reached back to the depths of your sin. Listen to this. From your very beginning, from the first sin that you ever did, right back behind your sin nature, he grabbed a hold of you. He reached down right into the depths of your spirit and he put his arms right around your sin nature. He went to the very beginning of mankind and he pulled it there and he reached down to the effects of death at the the Dead Sea and all the water dried up and the people of God marched straight through. I'm here to tell you, my friend, that the effects of sin, which is a picture of Adam, the city of Adam, and the effects of death are broken when Jesus comes into your life. Are you hearing me today? And it's a lie from the pit of hell that says you haven't changed. You have changed. When Jesus comes into your life, everything changes. He reaches down to the depths of your sin nature and transforms it. And the greatest battle you have is to deal with a devil that says nothing has changed because you feel like nothing's changed. But the truth is, if anyone be in Christ, everything's changed. And when Jesus comes into a man, and I, I've got a doozy about this. When Jesus comes into a man, everything changes. He begins to fight our battles. Joshua crosses the Jordan and he's about to face his first battle. And Jesus appears as the commander of the army. And Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And Jesus says, neither. That's a great answer, isn't it? I'm not on your side. I haven't come t- to take sides I've actually come to take over. Did you hear that? When Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't come to take sides. He doesn't come to help you. He comes to take over your life. He comes to fight every battle that you will face. I want you to know today that everything changes when Jesus comes into your life. He not only defeats the power of sin, pays the price of sin, he comes to do all the fighting on your behalf. As I continue to read about this Jordan River... In Genesis 15, verse 13, God speaks to Abraham while he's in the promised land. He's in Canaan. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I want to show you what's going to happen to your seed. They're going to be uh, captured by this foreign land. They're going to go to Egypt and they'll be, they'll be imprisoned for 400 years until the iniquity of the Amorites is full. But when that happens, I'm going to set them free. And as they come into this Jordan River... All the banks are overflowing. It represents sin in its fullest. But the other thing that it represents, it's a sign from God. It's a sign from God that the enemy has been judged. Do you hear me today? Satan has been judged at the cross. When Jesus paid for your debt and my debt, Satan was judged once and for all. He is a defeated foe. Are you hearing me? So many Christians are intimidated by him. They believe his lies. They believe his power. Sin is broken and Satan's power is broken over your life. The greatest battle that you face is not just a power encounter. It's a truth encounter. You need to understand today his power has been broken over your life. He's a bully. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. There's no truth in him. And every time he whispers, you haven't changed. You're powerless. I want you to remember this day what I said to you. That when Jesus 
crossed that Jordan in the life of Joshua, all the power of sin was broken. The penalty was paid. The effects were broken. That river that, that was flowing from Adam to the Dead Sea, it stopped. The power of sin, the stain of sin in our nature was broken and the enemy was defeated. God said to Satan, I'm judging you now. You've had your 400 years. You've had your season. But when I cross that river, when Jesus goes to the cross and is raised from the dead, your day is up then and I'm here to tell you at the cross Satan was judged then he is defeated his power is broken over your life not someday to come not in the sweet by and by right now Satan is judged and his time is up hallelujah don't you love that thank you Jesus but you see, when these people come to the Jordan, there's such weakness focused over their life. They've been through 40 years of weakness and failings. They come to the Jordan River, it's so overwhelming. They look ahead and they see seven nations more mighty and powerful than them. So you have this contrast of such weakness coming to the Jordan River, the power of the Jordan River, impossible to cross. On the other side, there are enemies so much greater and mightier. And you and I are often the same. We feel like we can't conquer our sin. We can't take an inheritance. But I'm here to tell you, it's not about your greatness and your might. Jesus, and the picture of Jesus is the ark. It goes into the Jordan River and, and, and Jesus puts his hands out to the left and the right and he beckons you to come on over into the promised land. It's not about your power. It's not about your wisdom. It's about the power of Jesus on your behalf. And it's time, church, to get a new view on the greatness of God that surpasses all our weakness and inability. Too much time spent on our inability, my weakness, I can't overcome sin and darkness. I can't see how I can ever change this city. My friend, Jesus has gone before you and he beckons us to come. Are you hearing me? If you're focused on your inability, you are devaluing the power of Jesus in your life. He says today, thus says the Lord, get over yourself. It's never been about you. It's always been about him. On the right side of the Jordan, there's victorious living. I'm here to tell you today that when Jesus comes into the life of a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, everything changes. You are a victorious one. And I will preach to the day I die this message that Jesus Christ is more than enough to conquer sin, to change a man. I look across this congregation today. I see people that have been bound in sin and darkness and depression. And Jesus came and set them free. So don't tell me that Jesus can't change you. He is the only answer. Some of you need to give a dance to him because you know that's true about you. Your life was a mess. So was mine. In fact, all our lives were messes. But Jesus is enough. Woohoo! On the right side of the Jordan is victorious living. And I will continue to come against the lies of the devil that says, you know what? You, need to, you just need to accept this broken down lifestyle. No way! There's nothing wrong with me. And there's nothing wrong with you. I want you to say that today. There's nothing wrong with me. Jesus lives in me. 
See, whatever you focus on is what you become. If you focus on a great Jesus in you, you'll become great. If you keep focusing on brokenness and darkness, so many Christians are introspective. And I just choose to believe what God says, his opinion, his glory, his right opinion about me. Who do you say I am, Father? We accept the opinions of so many people, our opinion, the devil's opinion, people's opinion, but only one opinion matters. What do you see, Jesus, when you see me? My book of Noah and the Ark, it's about God placing Noah in an ark covered with wood, which is the humanity and the brokenness of life. Wood's always a picture of fallen humanity. And he places him in that ark and he covers the ark with tar on the outside and the in. And that, that word, that tar is really, uh, it's, it's the uh, Hebrew word for the mercy seat. So when God looked at Noah, he couldn't see the brokenness of Noah. He seen the life of Jesus, the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus. And when Noah looked out, he couldn't see the brokenness. He could only see the life of Jesus. Jesus sees me, sorry, the Father sees me through Jesus. And when I look at myself, I'm no longer looking at a broken man. I see Jesus in me. Get your eyes off yourself and onto him. Are you hearing me? I'm just a little bit over people continually focusing on their brokenness. Come on, lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up. The second thing, the wrong side of the Jordan is a world of diminished vision. So we said it's a world of defeat, but it's a world of diminished vision. He said in verse 9, We've come from a far country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. We have heard of your fame and all that God did in Egypt. Oh, it sounds great. We heard that all that God did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. See what the enemy focuses on? The wrong side of the Jordan. He says we came because of what God did in Egypt and on the other side of the Jordan. But the truth is, we read at the start, they came because of what God did in the promised land. Are you getting this? Did you see this? The enemy actually came because of what God did in Jericho and Ai. See, he was afraid because God's people were getting close to the inheritance. They were beginning to possess the land. But he said, we came because of what you did on the other side of the Jordan. You're closer to your inheritance than you think. See, the devil wants so many of you to think that you're so far off. When you get this right and that right, in another few years, you are closer to your breakthrough than you think. And the devil has been whispering in your ear, it's a long way off. You're miles away. He doesn't want your mind on your inheritance. He keeps focusing your attention on things before your breakthrough. I don't know if you're getting this today. He wants you to focus. He's saying we came because of what God did in Egypt and in all the land in the wilderness. That's why we came. But the truth is they came because you were closer than you thought to your breakthrough. You were right on the enemy's doorstep. He's afraid that you're going to get wind of your inheritance and take the promised land. So it says in verse 14, the men of Israel sampled their provisions. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, lovely stale bread. Let me try on your, your broken shoes and your smelly clothes. 
They went down to the local op shop. But they did not inquire of the Lord. And they made a treaty of peace with them and they let them live. You see, they settled for less. They made a treaty with these people that their whole focus was on deception and making God's people think that they hadn't broken through. They settled when there was so much more. They began to eat of the portion of the enemy. It was stale. It was broken. They settled for less and they lost their hunger and their vision for conquest. Every business, every church, every preacher is at the mercy of God's people's hunger. Hunger is what makes the world go around. Hunger controls the flow and they, they lost their, their passion for conquest. They began to feast on this old mindset, on distraction, on, on not going forward. And they began to eat and they made a peace. See, so many of God's people have made peace with the enemy. You know, don't, don't believe that you can change your city. Just bunker down till Jesus comes. You've done enough in your life. You're 60 now. My word, you've served the Lord well. And we settle down and we begin to eat the provisions of the enemy and we lose our hunger. I love this about God, that God is always ready to pour out more and more and more and more and more. Did you hear me? You know, in John chapter 6, verse 10, when Jesus multiplies the fish and the loaves, it's an amazing story because God feeds all of the people until they are satisfied. Listen carefully to me. The, one of the greatest ploys of the enemy is to take away your hunger and passion for more. He wants you to feed on satisfaction. I've done enough. I've seen enough. I, I've thought enough. I've, I've led enough people to Jesus. I've been passionate enough. Settle down. Don't be so excited. Take it, take it easy. Find a comfortable church. Don't press in. Don't allow God to stir up a hunger. Don't get dissatisfied. But we see this picture of Jesus that when, he, when everyone's fed, they are filled and filled until they say, I couldn't eat another thing. And the amazing thing about this story is that God keeps pouring out and every disciple gathers up one basket full of food each. And I thought, God, why do you do that? Because you're not into waste. And this is what I felt God say. I was showing all the disciples that when man's hunger stops, I've still got more to give. Did you hear me? When you say it's enough, when you believe, when you've seen enough, God says, I've still got more. I will keep pouring out my goodness and my blessing and my favour until you say, I've had enough. And I'm here to say, so many people in the church have said, God, I've had enough. I've seen enough. How much do you want this city? How much are you going to be willing to allow God to stir your heart? When the manna came down from heaven, God satisfied them all according to their appetite. They could eat as much as they wanted for that day. How much do you want? How much do you want? How much are you prepared to allow God to wake you up at night? How much are you going to allow God to stir you so it becomes uncomfortable? So some people may think you're a bit strange. How much do you want of God? How crazy are you willing to be? 
How big is your faith? How much will you allow God to enlarge your vision so you see what you could be? Why did you settle? Who told you you could settle? Who told you God was satisfied with that? See, the issue of church is not whether we have an old church or a young church. The issue is whether we've got a dead church or a live church, whether we've got a satisfied church or a hungry church. Give me 10 hungry old people over 100 young satisfied people. Give me 100 young hungry people over 10 satisfied old people. Just give me hungry people. That's what changes the world. Because God wants to pour out his blessing. He said to me, who told you to stop hungering and thirsting for miracles, signs and wonders and deliverance? Who satisfied you? Who told you it can't happen? Well, I didn't see it happen, so I just thought you weren't interested. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst, for they may be filled. They will be filled. He's just increasing your hunger to give you a greater capacity. Isaiah 54 says, Sing, O barren woman. You have not given born birth to child. Sing out aloud. These are the songs and the cries of hunger. God, when will you touch our city? I sit in an MCG and I look across the fields and I say, God, when will this be a church service? When will our city sing out, Jesus is Lord? It's a hunger in our heart and we sing and it's uncomfortable. But something's happening on us inside because as we sing and we cry out, there's an enlarging verse 2 says, stretch out, lengthen the cords, strengthen the stakes. This is painful as the two-man tent becomes three, four, bigger, 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 and we feel like we're going to burst. And verse 3 says, for you're going to possess the land, desolate cities. They're all going to be yours. Hunger, increase capacity, take the land. Are you hearing me? But we want to feast on this pathetic offering that the enemy gives. Just just believe that you'll get by and pay the bills and your kids will grow up to be nice citizens. And that's all wonderful. But it's stale and it doesn't satisfy our hearts. Let the God of this universe stir your heart. God, cause me to be hungrier than... And I pray this prayer... Make me hungrier than any other person in this city. Any other person. Lord, let that which defines me be my spiritual hunger. Agitate me. Stir me. I don't have many nights where I, don't, where I sleep right through the night. And, and I had this lovely uh, man of God prophesy in this church. And when we first began this church, or first uh, were assigned as pastors, he prophesied, you won't sleep well. Well, thank you very much. I don't now. Because God is stirring my heart for more. What about you? Do you wake up agitated? I don't mean in a wrong way, but God, I know there's more. I can see. I can see. I can't even explain it at times, but there's something going on in me. So you have to tell God when you're full, because he'll just keep pouring. That's his nature. We see that in Kings. The the widow brings the the vessels, and and the, the prophet says this, you better be wary. Bring lots. Because the nature of God is if he finds something empty, he's going to fill it. He can't help himself. Anything that's empty, he fills. Anyone hungry, he satisfies. I'm here to tell you this is a promise from God. You can go to war on this one. If you are hungry, you shall be filled. And then you get prophesied over. Well, it's because you're not hungry enough. Oh, how dare you say that? My friend, 
If you want something from God, you stir up hunger. And eventually, when it's the right time, God will satisfy your hunger. If he doesn't, he ceases to be God. Because he said, blessed are those that hunger, for they shall be filled. It's the nature of God. And when, when the vases, when the pot stopped coming in, the oil ceased to flow. And as long as you keep rocking up hungry, God says, I'll keep flowing. I've got this vast supply. And every time I see emptiness, whoosh, whoosh. The disciples in Acts chapter 1 and 2, they're hungry men and women. And the power of God pours itself out at Pentecost. Why? Because God found somebody hungry enough. I think I've pressed that point at home. The right side of Jordan is where God's people get a hunger and a vision for more. It's a Caleb anointing. I'm saying if you're old today, don't get satisfied. Caleb said, give me my mountain. No, he didn't. He was full of vigor. He may have been old in body. He was young in heart. There was a fire in his bones. I watched a video just recently on Facebook of an old man and he was in his, I think in his late 80s, early 90s, and he was preaching like he was a young man. Fire in his bones. My grandfather, who I dedicated my book to, he was so full of God that when he was dying and in a coma, he was praying in tongues. He was so hungry for God, so full of God, so full of the Word, so full of the Spirit. His, uh, his wife at the funeral she was too so full of God that in the middle of her, her speech on grandpa, she just began to pray in the spirit. And it was just like a river began to flow out. And I just looked at that and I thought, you're not here. You're in some other land. So it's not about young or old. It's about hunger. Hunger. My grandpa was hungry for God. Read it, devoured the word. Four times every year he'd read through the scriptures. Soaked in it day and night. He was so hungry for more of God. It's not about age. It's about hunger. Last point, and then we're going to go home. So the right side of the Jordan is victorious living. On the wrong side, it's diminished vision. And lastly, on the wrong side of the Jordan, it's a world of deception where strange doctrines lead people away from Jesus. These men, in verse 14, they sampled the provisions, but they didn't inquire of the Lord. They tasted of the teachings of the enemy, but they didn't ask God. And three days later, they find out that this oath that they had made was actually based on deception. If they had waited three days later, they would have found out it was a lie. Three days is the time between the cross and the resurrection between a powerless gospel and a powerful gospel, between false doctrine and right doctrine. And they made a covenant with false doctrine, false deception. False what? False, what did I say? I said something wrong, did I? And I thought about that. And I've got to be careful how I put this, but there is... Wooing of the Spirit for God's people to fall in love with Jesus again and to exalt Him and understand 
then in all our encounters and our longings and all the things, and I am into that, angels, visions, gold dust, all that sort of stuff. It's wonderful. But it must all point to Jesus. It must point to him. And they sampled on provision and they were deceived because they didn't wait on God to get the revelation of the third day. And everything that we do points to Jesus Christ. 2 Kings 6 illustrates this. It's a story of, of the prophet and he, he's chopping down a tree to make room and the axe head falls off and it goes into the Jordan River. And it sinks there. And I felt God say, this is a season where I am reconnecting the body to the head, the axe handle to the head. I'm reconnecting my people to Jesus. I know that sounds really bizarre, but it is a bizarre concept because many people in the church have forgotten that this is all about Jesus. This is about a passionate love affair with him. This is about exalting him. This is about honoring him. This is not about chasing strange doctrines or being here or that. Paul talks about the simplicity of the devotion to Jesus Christ, where God's people long for him and hunger for him, that he is the prize. Are you hearing my heart? Colossians 2.8 tells us that we need to beware that when people come with, with philosophy and empty deceit, traditions of men, he says they come with shadows of things to come. And, they, and, it's, and why am I saying this? Because it's so, it's so slight. It looks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. He says that they are puffed up in their fleshly minds. They talk about things they don't even understand and they don't hold fast to the head. And every revelation we get, every understanding we get must point to Jesus and the authority of his word. If I can't find it in his word, I don't want it. If I have to go outside his word to discover it, everything must have its foundation in his word, the word of God is the nature and the expression of the Godhead. And beware of doctrines that will come into the church. I'm talking about the body of Christ that are seducing spirits that alienate people from Christ and they just get us off one degree. And you all know that when your wheel isn't aligned and you let go and then you begin to realize that it's steering off the road ever so slightly. I've been down a freeway and I let my hand off the wheel and all of a sudden, my car's off the road and it's uh, some of you may not even understand this or get this but i hope you understand it beware of any doctrine that doesn't exalt jesus christ as lord that is fleshly puffed up looking and talking about things they have no understanding about my friend don't be gullible don't accept everything that's preached, that's taught, that's on the podcast. Go to the Word of God and say, God, where is this? When people go into places and it's so subjective, my friend, I want people to teach me out of the Word of God. Show me where it is. My foundation is on the Word of God and he's attaching the body back to the head because the head's been lost from the body. And, and we have to be wary of encountering God, the encounter type church that is just a little bit off centre. My friend, let's come back to Jesus. Let's honour him. Everything about angels and, and encounters all leads us to the person of Jesus. Are you hearing me? I'm not saying we put down encounter. We want encounters with God, but it must draw people to Jesus. And this axe head is lost in the Jordan. And God's saying, what about Jesus? Have you forgotten him? 
We're infatuated with all these things. I, 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 I get on the internet. Maybe that's my problem. I look at too many things. I'm seeing what the body, some people in the body are projecting. Strange doctrines, strange teachings. And I think in my heart, why, why do we have to have more? Why, why can't we be satisfied with Jesus? Why can't we just discover more and more about him? Why does it have to be the latest and the greatest? And I'm not against revelation and deeper understanding, but Paul said, beware of those that talk about things they don't understand. Puffed up doctrine, our foundation, he says, must be Christ. Hold fast to Jesus and you can't go wrong. Did I sort of make that point strong enough? The axe head was loose and it was borrowed. And my friend, if you're here today and you've borrowed your relationship from somebody else, you need your own relationship. You need to discover who Jesus is. If you've got religion, that ain't Jesus. You may have an axe head. You may look like a believer. But if you're not attached to the head, if you don't love Jesus with all your heart, if you don't experience his love, if he doesn't live in you, you've got religion. You haven't got Jesus. It was borrowed but the great thing about this man, he, he admitted, he says, I've lost my axe head. He didn't go on hitting the tree without an axe head. That would be crazy. And I hear people, not in this church, of course, but in other places, that say, I've tried this Christianity thing, it doesn't work. Oh, you see them on Facebook and all sorts of places. Ah, I've tried Jesus. And you know, my friend, you didn't try Jesus. You were never attached to the head. Because once you become attached to Jesus, once you get into Christ, everything changes. You were just thumping a tree without a head. You got religion. You didn't get Jesus. When a man or woman meets Jesus, they have an encounter with Jesus. I met him when I was a young boy. And my friend, it has stood me through the test of time. My life has seen hell and high water. It's, I've been through things I could never imagine that I'd want to go through. But because I connected to Jesus as a young boy and I asked him to my heart and he became attached to me, my friend, I found reality. And if you're chopping away and nothing's moving, then you just need to get attached. You need to meet Jesus. Because <sighs> if you're not connected to the head, I tell you, you're dysfunctional. When someone loses connection with the head, we have words for that, medical words. There's no movement. There's no fruit. You're dysfunctional. You need to get reattached to Jesus. And we need to make sure that our teaching, our life, our worship, everything's about exalting Jesus. That's what creates movement and life and fruitfulness. It's about him. I know for some of you may be thinking, well, Andrew, this is so obvious. Is it? Is it? Have we, have we moved from the goal? Have we moved from the prize? Have we moved from the focus? It's about him. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. It's simple. We've complicated it. We come up with, and I can do this, pie charts, graphs, all sorts of diagrams. But the, the essence of it is Jesus and his relationship with me. So Elijah threw a stick where the axe head was lost. And I believe this today. That some of you, maybe emotionally, you've become detached from Jesus You've allowed pain, disappointment, discouragement, all those things to cause the focus of Jesus to sink in your life. And Elijah throws a stick in that very place and the axe head comes up. 
And I just sense as I was preparing this message that Jesus wants to rise up in your pain and disappointment. Your focus on your pain has colored your vision and Jesus is no longer seen. So you have a choice when you go through pain. And we had an amazing testimony at the men's night from Nick who testified about the pain that he went through uh, through the, 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 the birth of his first child. It was such a moving, powerful testimony. I don't know if there's many dry eyes during that. I'm glad that the rain was coming down so you couldn't hear the tears. But the thing that captured me about Nick's testimony was that in the midst of the pain and the confusion, he began to look to Jesus. And whatever it is that's maybe robbed you of your vision and your hunger, whatever pain and disappointment has come, Jesus wants to be raised up again in that. He wants to be Lord of that. He wants to resurface again in your life. But here's the key. The prophet said, you've got to pick it up yourself. You've got to allow him. You've got to say, Jesus, come back and be Lord and focus in that area of my life. I've allowed pain to sink your focus in my life. You're now on the bottom of the Jordan powerless. I can't see you, Mike. You've, got to, you've actually got to pick him up. His Holy Spirit is here now. He's been speaking through me. I know that. He's been speaking to your heart. He's lifting up Jesus. Jesus has been lifted up here today, hasn't he? Yes? yes? And so this is for you now. You've got to pick him up. You've got to take him home with you. He's here now, but you've got to pick him up. You've got to say, I'm going to take you home, Jesus. I'm going to have you as mine. I'm going to allow you to be the victorious one in my life this week, not the God of defeat. I'm going to allow you to stir up such a hunger in my heart this week. I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm going to embrace you this week. I'm going to alter my doctrine if I've got distracted, if I've allowed other things to be Lord and not you, whether it's pain, disappointment or wrong doctrine, I'm going to allow you to be worshipped again this week. I'm going to have eyes for you, Jesus, alone this week. You've got to do that. I've raised Jesus up through the Holy Spirit today, but you've got to pick him up. You've got to reattach him to your life again. Are you listening? You can go home and be a headless chook. You can go home without a head on your axe handle and nothing's going to change. You know what? It'll be religion again. It'll be doing life again. It'll be boring and mundane, visionless powerless, nothing's changed. Or you can go home with Jesus reattached to your life, a new focus, a new desire, a new vision. It's up to you. I've lifted him up. You've got to take him. Are you hearing me? So, why don't we do that today? Why don't you place your hand on your heart? Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I, I speak over all your people today and I declare right now that you are the powerful one in their life. Lord, those that are struggling today with addictions, with fear, with lies, a feeling of powerlessness in their life and the circumstances of their life, I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to them as the powerful one, the God that defeats sin, the God that, that dries up the Jordan and leads us through the promised land. 
Lord, for those today that are feeling weak, without vision, I ask by the power of your spirit that you would bring such a revelation of the power of your son in their lives. Do that today, Lord. Empower your people. Cause them to see who they are. I ask too, Lord, that for every person today that you would stir up such a holy hunger for more in their hearts. Enlarge their vision. Enlarge their capacity. Increase their hunger. I give them the gift that you've given me of hunger. Stir them. Agitate them. Wake them up. Enlarge them. Increase them. I rebuke small vision. I rebuke satisfaction. And I call forth hunger and greater desire. Bigger vision. I implant that in your heart today by the Holy Spirit. Receive an impartation of hunger today. Take it now by faith. That's mine, Lord. I want to be more hungry. Increase me, increase me, increase me, increase me, increase me. Come on, say it to the Lord. Increase, increase, Lord. Increase my capacity. Increase my vision. Increase my desires. Increase, Lord, what you can show me. Increase, 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 increase me, Lord. And I pray, Lord, today that you give them a fresh revelation of, of Jesus and his might and his splendor. That you would reattach to every person the simplicity and the devotion to Christ. Encounter every person this week. Lord Jesus, may they experience your love and your presence. I pray this week, Lord, as they reach out to you, that they would encounter you in ways they've never seen before and they would be smitten by your love and your greatness. Father, we don't want a dead, dry religion. We want to be attached to the head, alive, alive in you. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. And today, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never asked him into your life, what a great day to do that. You need to be attached to Jesus. You need to allow him to forgive you of your sins, as I've spoken about today. You need to come into his kingdom. And you can do that wherever you sit today, and you can just pray. The Bible says if you would confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and you would believe in your heart, you shall be saved. So wherever you are today, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, why don't you reach out to him and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. I need you. Come into my heart now. Do that wherever you sit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. I just wonder if you just lift your hands where you sit. And just for the next just 30 seconds or so, just allow the presence of Jesus to flood your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your...